falling in love with Jesus. Oh, falling in love with Jesus. We're falling in love with Jesus. Oh, falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I ever done in his arms in his arms I feel protected in his arms never disconnected in his arms I feel protected I'd rather, rather be falling in love. Oh, falling in love with Jesus. Yes, falling in love with my Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. best thing I have ever done. Let's sing that again, falling in love. Oh, falling in love with Jesus. Yes, falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love was the best thing I have ever done. Amen. Aren't you happy you fell in love with him? I'm happy he fell in love with me. Amen. Let's sing, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Welcome to the service this evening. It's good to have you here. Isn't that your prayer? We need him. Amen. No matter what we're doing, We need him, amen? Because without him, nothing else is going to happen, amen? We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. our hands and we bow our knees and worship at your throne because we need you Lord yes we need you Lord right now I need I need you, Lord, I need you, Lord, right now. 
my hands and bow my knees and worship at your throne. I need you, Lord. Yes, I need you, Lord. Right now. One more time, we need you, Lord. Sister Mary and Brother Richard, who uh, does a great job, but is a full-time job of taking care of her at home, so we want to remember them in prayer as well. I'm going to ask Brother Jeremiah Cockman if he'll uh, come and open the service in order of prayer. Uh, but if you have any unspoken prayer requests, let's just make them known by that uplifted hand. Amen. Aren't you thankful there's somewhere where we can go, amen, to bring our needs no matter what they are, amen, no matter what our situation is, whether we're going through something physical, whether we're going through something emotional, mental, it could even be financial, amen, there's a place that we can go to, amen, and that he hears our needs, amen, and he knows what we're going through and he can comfort us. 
Let's all bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we, we want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity you've given us to come on this Saturday evening, Father, just to praise you and worship you, Lord. We know that there's many that can't be here this evening that wish to be, um, many circumstances that are holding them from being here. But, Lord, we know you know their needs, Lord, and we pray that you would just bless them. We want to ask that you would bless the minister, Lord, and help him just to say something, God, that might just inspire our hearts. Pray that you'd be with us this evening and bless the service. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Needs to the Lord. Well, for he is. He's so
When Satan comes to tempt me and he tries to make me doubt, I don't know if that ever happens to anybody else, but that happens to me sometimes. Amen? He tries to make me doubt. I can say, amen, my sins are gone. You got me into trouble, but Jesus got me out. I'm glad, amen, my sins are gone. Let's sing that verse again. When Satan comes to tempt me and he tries to make me doubt, I say, my sins are gone, amen. Well, you got me into trouble, but Jesus got me out. And I'm glad my sins are gone, amen. They are underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary. As far removed as darkness is from dawn, there in the sea of God's forgetfulness, it's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. We're going to sing that one more time. And Ethan, if you could come up, you can come at this time, Ethan. There underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary, as far removed as darkness is from dawn, the sea of God's forgetfulness that's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. Amen. See, he's coming, just a reminder tonight, immediately after the service in our fellowship hall, we've got a, a snack and some time for fellowship, so we'll do that. Brother Chisholm, Jewel, it's good to have you here, Brother Chisholm. Can I get you to sing after this? Uh, that, would be, that would be great. If I could do that uh, right after uh, Ethan's done, if you could come up right afterwards, that would be great. God bless you. Come and be different. Oh. 
I mean, happy to know that we are serving a true and living God. Amen, amen. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. I worship you, oh Prince of and that is what I want to do. I give you praise, for you are my righteousness. I worship you, oh Prince of Peace, oh and that is what I want to do, I give you praise, for you are my righteousness.
love all days Oh, so highly exalted Glorious in heaven above Humbly you came to this earth Tonight, oh, you all together, you're worthy all together. Well, like all the world, you stepped down into darkness. Open my eyes and let me. All together, all together. 
singing so good. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship. Oh, every praise. Every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God. Glory hallelujah to our God. Every praise. 
Every praise is to our God. God, my Savior. God, my healer. God, my deliverer. Yes, He is. Yes, He is. God, my Savior. God, to be in church. Good to have all of you with us tonight. We're not going to prolong things uh, any longer, uh, but uh, it's, like I say, it's just such a wonderful atmosphere. We have expected uh, great things this weekend, and we're looking forward to what God has for us. And uh, Brother Jewel, if you'll make your way up to the front here, we want you to pray and just open up. You don't have to sing tonight. Uh, You can sing tomorrow night, 
but uh, we want you just to pray and ask God's blessing on the service tonight. And uh, I would like to say this, that we are honored to have all of you here tonight, our guests and visitors and friends, and and lots of people streaming online, and uh, I I believe that uh, God has got something special for us this weekend. We're glad to have uh, Brother Chris Take uh, here, all the way from uh, Idaho, uh, being with us here. Brother Chris is not a stranger, and uh, we're glad to have him and all of you that are here tonight. And I'd like to say this before Brother Jewel prays tonight. Uh, we're always honored to have Brother Jewel and Brother Chisholm uh, come our way. It's always a blessing. But I think, I think we should give a round of applause to Brother Tom and Sister Kim who are celebrating 56 years of marriage today. God bless you, Brother Tom. Amen. Brother Jewel, that's a long time. Yes, sir. You haven't been married 56 years, have you? Uh, no, sir. No, sir. How long How long have you been married? 50, 41. 41. I was going to say, it didn't look like a day over 40. But, uh, hey, that's, that's a milestone. 56 years, that's a milestone. And I'll tell you what, that's only by God's grace, isn't it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll tell you what, that takes the Holy Spirit to keep a, a couple, uh, you know, uh, marching together after all of those years. And I'll tell you, it's a blessing to have them with us. Amen. It's a blessing to have you with us tonight. Yes, We're going to invite you to bl- ask a blessing on the service tonight. Okay. Let's bow heads. Our gracious Father God, Almighty Lord, let your Holy Spirit move tonight, Lord. Lord, let the power of the Holy Ghost move in here so strong, Lord, that deliverance come, Lord. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, Father God, just let the power of God move tonight, Lord. Lord, this Lord, every power, everything that the devil come against us tonight, we will withstand him in the name of Jesus Christ. By the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, we ask you, Lord, to bless this service tonight. Let everybody that's here receive the healing of the word, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Brother Jewel. God bless you. Good to have you. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and give him a round of applause. That's it. Let's go ahead and play something. Go ahead and play something. Uh, without any further ado, Brother Rapp is no stranger to us. This year at the Winter Youth Retreat, it was special. And uh, we had a unique combination of ministers. Uh, Brother Rapp was one of them, did uh, a couple of mornings. And uh, what he spoke about in both mornings was really a blessing. It really spoke to my heart. And I thought, you know, it's not very often you hear a sermon where uh, that sermon could be played and taught in every church, in the message, everywhere. And uh, the theme this weekend, Boiling Frogs in Babylon, uh, is going to be a... We're not going to limit Brother Rap to that at all. Uh, we want to give him his full liberty to veer whichever way the Holy Spirit takes him. And uh, that's, that's a real gift when you let your gift fall into the hands of the Holy Spirit. And then he ministers to the people through that gift. It's not you doing it. It's the Holy Spirit doing it through that gift. And, and that's, a, that's a really called person when that happens. And so uh, this, this is more than likely going to be a little unusual, a little bit different. Uh, I don't think he'll go to sleep in this one. And uh, we have some things that are uh, going to be played and shown tonight. And uh, then, Lord willing, at least the plan is, uh, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but uh, to carry on and, uh, uh, you know, to expand the thought. So uh, we know it will be very edifying. So put your feet under the table. Brother Rapp was asking how long should he speak, and I said, I'll tell you what, for my part, i got nowhere else to go tonight. 
I have nowhere else to go and nothing else to do. The only thing I have an appointment with is the fellowship hall over here afterwards to have a little snack. But other than that, I don't have anywhere else to go. So I, I'm, I'm ready. I don't know about you, but you should take your cup and hold up your cup and just say, Lord, fill my cup. Fill my cup, Lord. And, and just have your way tonight. And I, I believe that God will do that tonight. Amen. Let's sing as Brother Rap comes tonight. Have your way. We'll have your way. Holy Spirit, fill us and have your way. And This evening, it's good to good to be here. I appreciate the, the good atmosphere and environment that we've all created. And uh, Brother Jewel, I was really really blessed by your uh, by your opening prayer there. Just uh, my prayer tonight is that the Lord will just help us to see more clear the world that we're living in. And sometimes we can be struggling with things, yet we don't realize we're struggling with them because they're so normal to us. So let's just pray the Lord will open our eyes to those things so we can know know true freedom. I just uh, bring greetings from my uh, my wife. I, I won't be singing any songs, folks. I've been told that my brother has the singing gift in the family. And the message got through, so we just try to stay in my lane. But uh, bring greetings from my wife and, the, and, and my children. They might be watching right now. Love you guys. We'll see you on Monday. Uh, greetings from Brother Paul. And uh, I just want to thank Brother Barry for the invitation. And thank you all. You've always made me... Uh, so welcome and uh, feel at home. I uh, appreciate that very much. Enjoyed meeting Brother uh, Chris and his wife this afternoon. Looking forward to getting to know them better this, uh, this weekend. Uh, while we're standing, perhaps we can just open our Bibles to the uh, book of Ezra. And um, like Brother Barry said, the Lord just kind of was dealing with me on, I, as the school year started uh, in August, uh, I remember the first day of school I opened uh, my Bible in the morning, having my personal devotions, and I was reading Ezra chapter 1, and uh, verse 3 just popped out at me, and it just tipped me like a load of bricks, and it's been, it's been with me um, ever, ever since, and uh, I just wanted to, wanted to talk about that. But we'll start with verse 1. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled... The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he's charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And then verse 3 just asks an open question, and it is, Who is there among you of all his people? How many of you are Jehovah's people? And you would have expected every hand to go up. 
And maybe lots of hands did go up. But I was just going on how few people actually responded to that invitation by the king to go back to help rebuild the temple, help rebuild Jerusalem. Who is there among you of his people? You would expect everybody to say, yes, I'm one of his. I can't wait to go. This is the moment I've been waiting for. Yet so few went back. And uh, we just want to, uh, that, that just hit me like, why? Why did so few go back? And that's just what we want to take a look at t- today. Um, why is, I think, they were like frogs slowly being boiled in Babylon, and they didn't realize the condition they were in. So I'll just ask the Lord's blessing, Lord. I just ask that you would be with us this evening, Lord, or I believe our hearts are prepared. I just pray, Lord, that you would help me to come, go to the gather the way, Lord, and you just speak exactly what you want spoken, Lord. Close my mouth at what's not uh, good for tonight, and Lord, inspire me for each way, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. So we'll talk about uh, the world that we live in and uh, the culture we live in, pop culture, and just look at this uh, guy, this, uh, this frog is in his jacuzzi, and he is having the time of his life. And I just look at this as such a picture of what the devil wants to do to us today. He wants to kill us spiritually and to make that killing as pleasant as possible for us. So that he can be killing us and that we actually enjoy the experience. I've been teaching on the church ages, through the church age books, some at home. And we were talking about how uh, some of, there were, there were time, brutal times of persecution in the early church. And I mean, some of us think about that. And we think, man, what would I do if bamboo sticks were getting thrust between, uh, up my fingernails? What would I do if I had to go through all this terrible pain, if my, if my bones were being broken? Being, what, what would I do? And, and we think, my, I'm so glad that we're not living in a time of persecution like that. But I got to thinking, you know, we are living in a time of persecution like that. It's not our body that's being persecuted, but it's our soul that's being persecuted. And if we're not careful, we'll be just like that frog, gradually, ever so gradually. We've got sin coming into our lives, things that we're just so used to that we don't even see it as sin anymore. Yet ever so gradually... It's affecting us, affecting us, affecting us. Until before you know it, you're like that frog. You want to get out, but you can't. And that's like it was there in Babylon. And uh, they'd been, the Jews had been there for 70 years. And um, they could have known that this was their way out when Cyrus makes this announcement. Because there were prophecies in the book of Isaiah in the book of Jeremiah, that they were going to be there for just 70 years. King Cyrus's name was mentioned a hundred years before Cyrus was even born. That King Cyrus was, there was going to be coming a King Cyrus who was going to open the leafed gates and come into the city and take over Babylon. That was prophesied. They could have known. A few of them did. I can imagine Daniel. He's... He's, 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 uh, he's received this, he's, he's interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He's seen the vision of these world powers. And Daniel's a prophet in Babylon. Daniel's sharing these things. There were some people who could have known. And you can imagine as, as the Babylonian newspapers are coming out that 
that the, that the Persians are surrounding the city and everybody's in, in panic what might happen. There could have been, there were probably a few Jews like, yes, this is the time. That we're, we're living at the moment where God's promises are going to be fulfilled. They could have known because this, was, this is Cyrus' army that's there. This is the prophecies that are going to be fulfilled. God had told them, you'll be there just 70 years. I am the master of your circumstances. Nebuchadnezzar is not the one that's got you captive. I have you here. I will bring you back out. But they got comfortable in Babylon. They got so comfortable, they started to lose the value for the prophetic promises that they had. They lost the value. They lost the knowledge of it. And gradually, they even lost their identity of being Jehovah. They lost their awareness that they were Jehovah's people. So when they were asked, how many of you are believers? Only a few could actually raise their hands. And when I read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, these parts of Scripture, this is a, the, the, these books are, are, are describing a season of prophecy that there's a restoration, that, that people who've been scattered are being brought back to a promised land. And when I read that, you know, we are in the very same season of prophecy. There have been promises made. God's going to take us back to our real homeland. There's, going to be a, there's already a restoration of the word. All this is happening so that we can be tuned in. So many times, Brother Brandon, is, is, I love reading his opening prayers and some of his sermons. Even messages that the people, oh, it's such a deep message. But his opening prayers are so simple. And a lot of times he's asking, Lord, just help us to see the day that we're living in so that we might be able to know how to live in this day. That's special to know the day that you're living in because there were lots of Jews there in Babylon at that time that didn't know the day they were living in and they didn't know how to live and they stayed in Babylon. God had given the exiles a prophet right there in Babylon, Daniel. And Daniel, no, Daniel tells in Daniel chapter 9 how, he, how through, the, through reading books, Jeremiah's books, he came to know the season he was in, and he began praying and praying and praying. It's Daniel's prayers, I believe, that almost that probably set in action these prophecies being fulfilled when Cyrus makes his invitation to go out. They were in that season, but so few actually recognized it. And I just want to ask the, kind of ask the question, um, why did so few recognize it? Why did so few of the Jews actually go back with Zerubbabel. In Ezra chapter 1, Ezra writes the book, but he actually doesn't come into the story till about uh, Ezra chapter 7. But um, why did so few of the Jews go back with Zerubbabel? Well, the, the Jews weren't there in concentration camps. They weren't being held back. They had more liberties than we might imagine um, than being exiles. And um, in 2015, um, in the World Antiquities Market, a discovery was made of, um, I think, some hundred clay tablets uh, from a Jewish community um, in this community called Al Yehuda, which is basically uh, not Chinatown, but Jewtown there around Babylon. And it's interesting, these, these clay tablets are at the very same time that Jews would have been living there in that, um, in that time of the exile. And they opened scholars' eyes to kind of see what was the nature of the exile there. And as they examined these uh, cuneiform tablets, they saw that these Jews, they're buying and selling property. They have property rights. They are able to own businesses. 
they're engaging in, in trade with one, one another. People had been able to accumulate enough wealth that there were actually inheritances that were being left. And you could see from these tablets the stories that were told there that Jews were able to climb the social ladder. You can even see that uh, you had some Jews, even in their Bible stories, you see that they attain positions of, of wealth and influence. Think about Mordecai. Think about uh, Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer. These weren't just uh, Jews living in some ghetto who were lowlifes among society, the bottom sliver of society. It wasn't that way. They had rights. They had freedoms. And um, one um, expert in the uh, Philip Vukosavovich, in uh, biblical uh, expert in biblical history, says the Jews were free to go about their lives. They weren't slaves. They were free. They were, they were even prosperous. They were active in business life. They weren't treated poorly by the government. And you know what? God had even promised Jeremiah. He, he, told, the, he told Jeremiah, tell the Jews to go to Babylon. I'll take care of them there. I'll prosper you there. And you see, God was prospering them there. But they forgot who was prospering them. They thought, wow, we've been so great. We're doing all this by our own efforts. The Babylonians, you know, we've heard about Babylon. It's, it's amazing. The Jews, they've, been, they, they, they've learned from the, from the earliest times as they're reading the Torah, which society is the epitome of evil. It's Babylon. And in the epitome of evil, they, they know this. But they come to say, wow, Babylon's not so bad as we thought. They get to experience, yeah, it's not so bad after all. And God prospers them there. But they forget who's behind it, that God's prospering. They get, this is, and, they forget, and they leave their Jewish identity behind. And they just say, yeah, we're just, we have our own little. And the folks who stayed there actually developed their own different Jewish identity, different than the one that actually became, that continued there in uh, Jerusalem. Who is there among you of Jehovah's people? Was asked, why could so few Jews answer? And I think we can just kind of, their captivity wasn't so bad. But gradually, they thought, yeah, we expected persecution. Persecution was when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the city and everything. And he, he poked out Zedekiah's eyes and slew his sons before, before, just before them. That was persecution. But this, this was the good life. What's wrong with this? They didn't recognize that what they had was persecution. And you know what? As we're living here in Laodicea, it's very easy to say, man, we, live, we have it pretty good. Yeah. Where's the persecution? Yeah. We don't feel any persecution around here. We, we, have, we, have, uh, we have three square meals a day, probably, probably four or five or six, not square, but hexagonal. I mean, they're huge meals, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're prospering. We're, not, uh, we're able to have religious freedom. You go to church, whatever church you want to go to. Nobody's limiting that from you. Where's the persecution? Can you stand up just a minute, bud? I'll show you what the persecution is. He's able to do everything he wants to have the time of his life, but gradually, ever so gradually, the devil is strangling him. And he'll even give you a smartphone. He'll give you a subscription to everything you want so that you won't even notice that you're being... Is he being persecuted? He's enjoying the process. He, he, he's loving it, but it's his soul that's being persecuted. And that's what happens in our lives. And that's not just for young people. That's for each and every one of us. I think it's very, it's for me, as I've been busy, as I've been working with this over the last month or two, you're just continually reevaluating your media decisions. 
Because media is everywhere. You open your weather app. What kind of advertisements are on your weather app? It's all over the place. You go to the stores, you go to everything before long. It's normal. And things that we wouldn't have listened to or watched 10, 15 years ago, it's there and yeah. It wasn't it's not so bad after all, right? <gasps> Ask your soul. Ask your soul. Amen. So they settled down into life in Babylon. They became increasingly comfortable. And many of them thought, yeah, the trip back, it's just, um, they might have thought about it, but it just wasn't worth the trouble. They lost their value. You know, Jesus says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. That's the time we're living in. Sin's so prevalent. And our love for God, if we're not careful, can wax cold. At the very beginning, when, the, when Nebuchadnezzar accepted, brought, brought the first Jews to Babylon, the first Jewish young people, his first priority, he wanted to change their identity. And we see that um, in Daniel chapter 1, when he, uh, he takes those four Hebrew boys, um, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and Daniel, the first thing he does, he renames them. And he doesn't rename them because he can't spell the Hebrew names or he can't pronounce the Hebrew names. That's what we Americans do when we have a brother from overseas and we can't say the name. We just give him, oh, that's Bob, because we can't say whatever the name is. Um, That's not why Nebuchadnezzar did it. Nebuchadnezzar, he knows what these names mean, I think. Daniel means God is my judge. He doesn't just give him some random name. He says, I'm going to rename you Prince of Bel for my chief God. Hananiah means God is favored. He renames him inspired by Rak, the sun god. Mishael means who is what God is. He says Meshach, who is what Shak is. Those names go right together as far as the structure of the name, but he's just replacing one God with another. He's doing this on purpose. Azariah means God is my help. He renames him Abednego, servant of the shining fire. Nebuchadnezzar is caught on the principle, names mean something. Brother Branham talks about it in the Bible. If a a name is being changed, it's either signifying a change to come, or it's because of a change that has been made. Think about uh, Simon being renamed Peter, or Abraham. Abraham. We, We know those things. Nebuchadnezzar has a principle. He's using this psychological warfare. I am dedicating you to my God. Devil does the same thing today. We might not, he might not go around and get us to change our literal birth certificates. But sometimes when we go onto social media, we can take a different handle. Yeah. We can take a different name. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to say cool guy number one or something. But, but sometimes is there something more to it than that? Yeah. That when you get into it, you can get into a game and you get so into that game that, this, that you identify almost more with your avatar they're in the game than what you're actually, who you actually are. I think there's, there's, there can be more to that. Be, be, be aware of the names that we're taking. I remember when I was a, I was a, a, a teenager, played basketball in high school, and I thought, man, I wanna, I, I, I'd be eating my, my Wheaties in the morning, hoping I could jump like Michael Jordan and all those guys. Um, reading my NBA standings, I wanted to go and buy a jersey for one of the NBA players. I used to call that back then. Back then, it cost $40, which was a lot of money to me. So I would go there, and I'd be looking through the sports store, which jersey do I want to buy? Which one do I want to buy? 
But you know what? After a while, and I bought the jersey, and I, I wore it, and I played it and everything. But you know, after, all, after a while, I think, man, do I really want to identify myself with this guy? And it's even worse nowadays. I mean, you get this guy's jersey, and you, got, and you look at him playing, and he's got tattoos all over his, all over his body. Well, and, I, I'm, and I'm carrying his name? Is there something there to that? I want to carry the Lord's name. That's what we want to identify with. And the devil tries to get us every different identity, every different flavor. He'll let you identify with anybody you want. Just try not to let him identify with Jesus. That's his advice to your personal tempter. But Nebuchadnezzar is mounting a full-scale assault on the Jews' identity. And next he tells the, he, he takes these, uh, these, uh, these cream of the crop of the uh, Hebrews and he says, I, I want to get them so that I can teach them the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And he's going to put them to the very best Babylonian schools. And they're going to be learning the, the, the worldly philosophies of Babylon. He's going to be learning, they're learning their literature, their culture, their mythology, all of it. And all these worldly philosophies, they're an attack on the young people's absolute. Because their teaching is going to replace... God's revelation with a Babylonian education. Amen. I just want to tell you, that happens very, very subtly. Because we can think, oh, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to fall for evolution. I'm not going to fall for this. I'm not going to fall for that. But you know what? All the, all the, all the theories that can be taught in academia, they gradually trickle down yeah. until they're the things that people are writing about. They're the things that people are, are, are basing their movie scripts on. They're the things people are writing their songs about. It's snuck in there very imperceptibly. It's all there. And if you're not careful, you'll be singing that song because you hear it at Walmart. That's what you leave with. I remember I worked at, uh, at, at, a, at a store stocking shelves when I was a teenager, and I hated it. You would leave in the evening, and you, were here, and you hear this Celine Dion song as you're driving. You couldn't get that song out of your mind. It, it was there. Because you know what? Gifts and callings are without repentance. Those folks can write wonderful-sounding songs. They can make sin sound fantastic. They can make it sound beautiful, and it sticks. And if we're not careful... Um, it's based on these worldly philosophies. We don't know the philosophy, we don't read the philosopher's books, but we consume their ideas in candy bar form in, in the pop culture. This can happen fast. Change, cultural change, it seems like it, it just happens all of a sudden. Think about, uh, um, I think in 2014, when the Supreme Court made the Obergefell decision that, that gay marriage was going to be legal throughout the United States. And that evening, you see the White House lit with the rainbow colors of the flag. Man, people say, how did we get here? This happened fast. It didn't happen fast. It seems like it did, but the, the groundwork was already being laid back in the 18th century, the 19th century, with these philosophers who were gradually chipping away at the foundation of God's truth being the basis of revelation. It's not that. It's how we feel. That's the basis of what it is. That's starting way back then, and gradually the devil just keeps chipping, chipping. It, can ha- it seems like it happens fast. One thing I was looking about at this whole idea of the concept of frogs boiling in Babylon came as a result of a question that one of my families at school asked me. I teach at a small Christian school in, uh, in Lima, 
uh, almost all message families. And we had the one new family um, who's, who came in, and um, uh, they had uh, their grandmother was a message believer, and she was seeing, can, can, I make, can you make an exception, let my grandkids go, hey, they know what we believe, they respect it, sure they can. Well, the little kindergartner, um, come around October, she got to drawing things and art projects and things like that, and she started drawing things about Halloween. Well, my son was in the class, and all these kids who know better about Halloween, they think, oh, Halloween dad, she's drawing Halloween stuff at school. And it just kind of freaks the kids out, the devils in, in the drawing, because it, it strikes them as so, so foreign. Well, um, we asked, uh, I think the teacher just kind of asked, maybe ask the parents, talk to the kids, we don't celebrate Halloween, you just kind of ask them not to draw those things and play with it. Well, I got the call from the dad. I said, Can, Halloween, what's wrong with Halloween. That's a question that none of us might have even thought to ask because yeah. it seems so clear to us. But to someone who just grew up in the world, what's wrong with Halloween? So I got to thinking about it and how, how do I answer this question, Re- doing research on it. And I was really surprised to find, if you look at how much money is being spent on Halloween, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. But if you look at like, tw- like late 2000s, it just it starts really increasing. Where does this come from? Well, um, I noticed this. I got this journal in 2019. It says uh, 29% of Americans say they believe in astrology, where you can read your horoscope, and that's actually telling what your future might be. 29%. Whereas 22% of Americans call themselves mainline Protestant. 23% of Americans call themselves unaffiliated, and 36% of millennials are unaffiliated. Those are just the, the nuns. So you can see how much, where people are identifying themselves with. If we believe in the Bible that God's word is telling us how we should live our lives, we're in the minority, folks. We really are. But what really got me was this. In 1990, there were about 8,000 people who would self-identify as being a Wiccan. I believe in white magic. Just 8,000 people in 1990. Because that was, back in the 90s, that's not really approved, right? You, you say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Wiccan. You kind of get weird, weird looks. Well, just 11 years later, there were 134,000 people who were willing to self-identify, yeah, I'm a Wiccan. And now, and just in 2014... 13 years after that, Wiccans and pagans combined numbered over a million. What a transformation. It it skyrockets. That's a a huge increase in just 24 years. That these things, that anything has to do with the occult, used to be frowned upon. And now, come Halloween time, so now it is down, down, down here, but in our neck of the woods, I mean, people can really get dark and ghastly. This fascination with, with, with death, this fascination with the violence, glorifying these things, and they're putting them out there. And like, where does this come from? And, and it has no place. I, I told this, this man who asked me, I said, this, I, I, we don't celebrate death. Death is because of a curse. We don't celebrate death. Jesus Christ came to conquer death so that we can have, 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 have life. And I just kind of thought about that even more. 
what other kinds of things in our lives celebrate death? I thought, man, you can have violent video games, can celebrate death, and can make death look fun and fantastic, but that's not a good thing. It's not a fun thing, but the devil makes it seem like, yes, I can blow everybody up, and that's awesome. Whereas Proverbs says, make no friendship with a violent man. Don't go with those who glorify violence and death, but it gradually becomes so normal. That's called boiling frogs in Babylon. But here you've got the, the, the occult, Wicca, paganism has become so popular that um, Starbucks will even use it to help you choose your coffee. And this is, came out, I think, in 2019 in different websites. I was looking at I think there was one website that says, yeah, the Zodiac helps you pick really good coffee. She's right. And this is, this is out there. This is mainstream. And you know, we can look at that, and I think especially as, uh, as young people, we enjoy kind of learning about our, ourselves, our personality type, what might I be good at, what kind of things, would, could, what kind of person should I marry, those kinds of things. And we can read books like, like Sun Signs and, and see where, what sign am I at. Because, you know, Brother Branham did say the Zodiac was one of the three Bibles that God wrote. So this is a, a thing that might not be so bad after all, right? But usually when we ask the question, there's a sense that we're not quite at peace with it, but we still think it's fascinating to see. You know what? Uh, I, uh, I, uh, I, I went ahead and bought uh, a book on the sun signs years back. I thought, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to read about, uh, about yeah, what can I expect being, uh, being someone who's born on October 20th, right on the cusp between two signs. Um, so I, I, I read about it. I was reading, what, uh, what can someone expect being a Libra? Yeah, you got difficulty making decisions, always weighing things back and forth. But the more I read this book, I think, man... If I believe what this book says about me, then I will be having pinups all over my office. I'll be on my second or third wife by now, and I'll probably have a girlfriend that I'm having an affair with also. That's what the book said about my flesh. I'm thinking, man, and the devil wants me to identify with that, that yes, I am this. Because you know what? Our flesh is a bad thing. It's a completely mixed bag. But if we go off the zodiac or a horoscope, then we actually get justification for some of the sinful tendencies that we're born with. This is just the way I am. I can't change myself. Wrong. We can't change ourselves. We don't want to stay the way we're at either. John the Baptist says we should, the axe should be laid to the root of the tree. I want to be, when I read this thing, I said, man, I am so glad for a new birth because I don't want to stay this way. I don't want to be this. Yet it's so easy for us. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. It catches our imagination. It, it, it helps us know about ourselves. Um, when really God wants us to know about him, when we, know the, when we learn about God, we learn the most about ourselves. But the devil says, hey, learn about yourself. It'll be, it'll be great. But you know what? Brother Branham does talk about the Zodiac a lot. And I was looking at this. I said, what does he say about it? Every time he talked about the Zodiac, he would basically start like this. Look at the Zodiac. It starts off with the Virgin. It ends up with Leo the Lion. That's how we come. First the Virgin, his first coming and his last coming. Leo the Lion, Lion of the tribe of Judah. And then you have the cross fishes, the Cancer Age. Everything, it all speaks of that. I've got the whole list of quotes. Every time he talks about it, he says, 
the zodiac is there. It's testifying of Christ's coming. That's why if you have missionaries go off to the jungle somewhere, they can, they can use that as their first point of contact. Because every, every culture will have some kind of signs of the zodiac that will be similar. And people, missionaries have used that as their first entryway to teaching the gospel. But the devil wants to twist you and say, no, it's not about Christ, it's about you. You don't need Christ. You're just the way you are, and that's just fine. But he says, forget it. That ain't your Bible. Sometimes we're tempted to use it as our Bible. This is how I am, this is how I need to be, this is what I need to do. But he says, still, that's not your Bible. He says, God wrote it on words. He gave us a more sure word of prophecy. And if we're not careful, we'll look to these other things because this is the world we live in. It's all over the place. It's the air we breathe, and we can't help but be affected by that. Um, I, was, uh, I read a, a, a quote recently when Brother Branham talks about how he is uh, taking his daughter to school one day. And um, he's got the radio on, listening to a radio broadcast, and he's telling. This is what the radio broadcast is about. He said the broadcaster wanted to tell me that creation just came from some ashes blowing together and some phosphate and a few chemicals of the earth, and the warm sunshine created this germ of life and brought out life. And he says there is no such thing, but that was Satan trying to punch that at me. I thought, man. Satan was using that radio broadcast to try to get a punch at Brother Branham, and it affected Brother Branham. And just imagine if if that that kind of thing affects him, how much do these other things affect us? The things we listen to, the things we watch, do have an effect on us. He said, after that, I let my daughter off at school, on the road back home. I started to turn on the radio again. But I thought, ah, it'll get into that stuff again. So I just turned it off. I thought, Sometimes overcoming can be that easy. Just turn it off. But it was interesting that something that seems so, what is, that seems so obviously wrong, but that was the devil still trying to get a punch at him because the very next thought he has, as I was going up the street, Satan said to me, you know, this man that you called Jesus, he was just a man like Billy Graham and Oral Roberts. And then a few people began to gather around him and say, he's a great man. And after a while, he became greater and greater until he became God. And now it's scattered all over the world since he died, and that's all. Those were the thoughts the devil was using to try to hit Brother Brandon with. And if he tries to hit the prophet with that, how much more can he try to hit us with that? Or our young people with that? Because we can think, oh, they know better. Brother Bram knew better, but the devil still tried. Because he can just get you off your foundation a little bit. Because he's a, the devil, man, he is patient. He'll just go at you little by little, little by little, trying to chip at that foundation the littlest ways until he's just got everything just right. And it'll be the straw that can break that camel's back, so to speak. If that kind of thing can hit Brother Branham, it can affect him. How much more all this other stuff that's just sweeping the world now that might seem, oh, my kid's not going to worry about this. This, this, is, this is the occult. I'm sorry, but everybody in the culture says it's okay. And the natural thing for people to think, oh, yeah, maybe it's not so bad after all. This is, this is where we as parents need to step in and give instruction about things, even things that we assume don't need to be instructed about. Instruct. 
instruct. Amen. In the uh, book of Colossians, Paul writes, As therefore as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith like you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Then he gives a warning. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Elemental, just basic, simple things. They're just all over the place. Those things can take us captive. The King James says, see to it that no man spoil you by philosophy and vain deceit. And that can happen. How does a, how does a philosophy spoil us or take us captive? And it, that can happen without us ever taking a philosophy class, without us ever reading a book of philosophy. You don't have to read something, read, read Nietzsche or Rousseau or any of these philosophers from, from old. You don't have to read those. But all their philosophies gradually trickle down into pop culture, and there is often where it will take us captive. And like we said at the beginning, I, I just pray the Lord can open our eyes to see the things that we might have allowed into our lives and think they're fine, and we can see the influences that are behind them and the effect it has even as we're enjoying scrolling on our smartphones. Yet our soul is suffocating. And Lord, just open our eyes. Well, a philosophy has to answer four questions in order to have any kind of appeal whatsoever. It has to tell you where you came from. has to answer the question, why am I here? talks about your origin. talks about what your purpose or meaning is in life. It talk has to tell you where you're going, what your destiny is. And it has to tell you, how should I live my, right? how, my life? How will I know right from wrong? It has to answer origin, purpose, destiny, and morality. It has to give those things. And if a philosophy doesn't, if, if a philosophy or gives you a different origin, it's going, to, it's going to change everything about you. And you can just think, um, I, I like contrasting two scriptures, uh, the book of Psalms. If we, if we know who we are, that we're children, sons and daughters of God, and we're secure in our position, well, where are we then? Psalm 8, 4 says, Who is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? Him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. You had dominion over the work of his hands. You put all things under his feet. And it gives a list of all the animals, the, all of creation that's under man's feet. If you know your position as a son or daughter of God, that's where you're at. However, if the devil hits us with the same thing he was trying to hit Brother Brandon with and saying it all came about not by creation, but by natural selection and evolution over a long time, what's your origin all of a sudden? You have no special origin. And all of a sudden, you're not, you don't have everything placed under your feet, but you're one of those things. And look what you become when you worship idols of silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not, eyes, but they see not, ears, but they hear not, etc., etc., they who make these idols are like unto them, so is everyone who trusts in them. So if you worship God and you, and you, and, and you know him, he, this knowledge of God gives you the most accurate knowledge possible of yourself and it places you in that position that God's called you to be in. If you know God, you will know yourself. Modern 
philosophy gets us all behind. It says, know yourself. No. Know your God, and he will tell you about you. But if you forget that, and you have a different origin, all of a sudden, you're going to be one of the beasts. And you can go to zoos nowadays. Zoos will sometimes have exhibits. You have the, the lions, the leopards, the monkeys, and you can find an exhibit of homo sapiens. Well, that'd be us, humans. Just in the zoo exhibit, people taking pictures, and they're dressed in the most basic clothing, scantily as possible, just in their natural habitat. And you'll even see, find uh, taking knits out of each other's hair. And they're, they're doing this. Well, if they who, the origin's gotten mixed up by the philosophy that they've embraced, and now they've become like one of the beasts. They've lost their position entirely. They've lost, they've lost dominion. They've lost everything. So if you change the origin, I'm sorry, but see to it that no man take you captive or spoil you by philosophy of vain deceit. What just happened? You went from being a child of the king to one of the beasts, the most helpless of all of them. You lose your position completely. That's what the devil wants for us. So the philosophy uh, does spoil us. And again, you don't have to ever read a philosopher but it's in the air that we breathe in the world around us today. And gradually, Satan has succeeded. He did then, and, he, does, and, and, and he, he tries to now to present young people today with a different absolute, an absolute called science. That if anything is a scientific study, or if it has something with, with good footnotes, and you think, oh yeah, this is, Think, man, I wish the church age book had footnotes. I wish I could see where Brother Branham gets this from. People, he, he could think that. But you know what? God did not send us a scholar. He did not send us a professor. He sent us a prophet because that's what we needed. We think we want something else, but no, we just want what God has for us. We want to have everything footnoted. But if we had that, we'd be leaning upon man's understanding. But God didn't give us that. But yeah, we have an absolute today, or the devil tries to give us that, an absolute called science, more popularly known as Google. Because where do we go when we want to know something? In my English classroom, I hate it. If I've got these beautiful dictionaries, I've got one of them that my grandfather gave me for my 18th birthday. I requested a dictionary for my birthday. I've got it right there. It's a special dictionary. I tell the guys, this is the dictionary you should use. It's a really good dictionary. They have to define a word. They pull up Google. What does this mean? But that's, uh, that's, that's just my pet peeve. But you know what? Well, if we want to know something, what kind of job should I look for? I'm born on this day. What kind of girl should I look for? Or, what is this? How does this work? We ask Google. And uh, if we're not careful, um, that will gradually become our, our absolute. But you know what? We've got to think about that. what do we like about Google. If you ask God a question, how long does it take God to respond sometimes? God does take longer than Google. Google, you ask your question, two milliseconds, you've got not one answer. You've got, any, you've got the whole number of answers. And you've got a whole number of answers that Google knows that you will like. 
Because you know what? If you were to ask that question, you would get a different set of answers from Google than I would. Because Google knows your browsing history. They know the pictures that you click on. They know what kind of things that make you tick. These are Because all Google wants, Google doesn't care about you getting the truth. All Google wants is you to click. And then go, cha-ching, money in the pot. That's all Google cares about. They know what kind of answers will appeal to you. And that's, those are the answers that they give you. And you can look at them all and say, wow, they'll be footnoted, they'll be referenced, they'll look really, really good, they'll be f- supported by the latest study. And they're instant. We like that. Um, the Bible, but, but when we ask God for a question, um, we might have to wait. We might have to wait for a long time. And um, that can be hard. But you know what? God doesn't just give his answers to anybody who casually asks. God has such a high value for truth. His promise is not he who Googles will find. His promise is that he who seeks shall find. Now, there's a story told about um, Socrates. He was a, a philosopher in ancient, uh, in ancient Athens. And a lot of the young people liked to hang around Socrates. And they wanted to be his students because, yeah, it was just, he asked questions. And by asking questions, he, he helped them to learn. And they, he was a real popular teacher. So one young man, may I use you as a young man? Yeah. One young man asked Socrates um, if he could be a student. And Socrates looked at him and says, I don't know. I don't know that he has what it takes to be my student. Because for Socrates, Socrates had such a high value for truth, he was willing ultimately to give his life for it. And he only wanted people to follow him who had that same value for truth. So Socrates took the guy on a walk. And uh, they go and sit down by this fountain in the middle of Athens, and they're talking about the possibility of him being a student. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the conversation, Socrates just grabs him and puts his head under the water and holds it there, and holds it there, and holds it there. If you did that, you'd be dead by now. If I were to, and this guy finally was just fighting and fighting and fighting, you can do that. And flailing his arms and knocking Socrates to the ground. And finally, Socrates just, wow, that was great. Man, finally, and Socrates said, you know what? When you care about truth as much as the air that you breathe, then you're ready to be my student. Thank you, sir. And that is what... You can have a seat. Very good. Let's give him a hand. Very good. But that's the kind of promise that God gives. He says, when you cry after understanding, if you seek for understanding, if you cryest after knowledge, if you lift up your voice for understanding, then you will know the fear of the Lord. Then you will find the knowledge of God. Not if you just yawn, I wonder. That's not searching. God God values truth so much. When you have a question, God values your question and he values his answer so much. His first thing, the first part of his answer is, I want you to value the answer I'm going to give you as much as I value it. So this period of waiting, that is tremendously important because you are getting the same value as God has for it. Don't despise the period of waiting because it's showing you just how important it is. And finally, when you Google, 
What kind of expectation does Google give you when you go to church, when you read your Bible, do other things? There's no expectation at all because you got your answer. But when you pray and you're seeking God, all of a sudden, you're, you, you, Lord, I need an answer. I need an answer. And you're, you're reading the Bible. You're listening to Brother Bram. You're listening to messages, to sermons. And you're waiting for God to give me your answer. Give me your answer. You're expecting. You're drawing. Because Googling cheapens knowledge. No effort at all. And it also gives you the whole Heinz 57, whatever you want, that's just fine. Take whatever you want. Just click. God values truth so much he gives you one answer and he wants you to value it as much as he does. And if we're not careful, we can make Google our absolute. When we look for... How many of us have Googled, what should I do when my child does this? <laughs> yeah, uh, we're so desperate, we need an answer now, any kind of answer. Um, it's good to ask, who is the person who's providing this answer? How many of these professors who are providing these answers actually have children themselves? No, the philosopher who kind of, who almost all kind of behavioral science is based off of was uh, Rousseau, a Frenchman. Yeah. And he, he, talk, has, he writes this book called Emile, How to, how to, how to Raise a Child. Well, Th- Rousseau had five of them with different women, and he, all, he gave them, each one of them up at childbirth for somebody else to raise. And this is the guy that we're looking to for advice, how to educate our children. Hebrews 13, 7 was, remember them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves, considering the end of their conversation, their testimony, their walk with the Lord, their life. Does their life have any kind of credibility for the advice they're providing? Or does it just sound really good because that's the prevailing narrative in the world? Look at who the person actually is. Because you know what? Your grandma and grandpa, you know the, the, the effect they had on your mom and dad when they raised them. Your parents, they raised you. They might have a lot more credibility than anybody with a PhD and lots of footnotes. It might be harder to take an answer from them sometimes. But there might be a lot more credibility there. Think about those things. It's also important to think about um, how absolute is this absolute after all? And I uh, came across this article some years back um, in the Wall Street Journal. It's not an article, it's an editorial, but I, I, I like it. This is the, the quote I love from it. He says, hands down, the two most dangerous words in the English language today are studies show. <laughs> because studies can show just about anything. Um, a lot of these studies, especially for behavioral science, which we think are so interesting, um, what are they testing? Well, usually they're testing college students who just need to have a little bit extra money for some beer, and they're testing them with other college students in some psychology lab somewhere. And, they're, and the scientists are drawing important results from that. I don't know that college students are the most representative group of the population, but um, that's what it's a lot of it's based on. Uh, one uh, uh, scholar says, Andrew Ferguson of the Weekly Standard says, behavioral science is really the study of college kids in psych labs, is what he says. 
in August 2015, you know, the, uh, um, the scientific method is you, you come up with a research question, and then you formulate a hypothesis, what you think is going to happen. Then you do your experiment, you see, and then you publish your results. And then the next thing is, you'll see, you'll do it again, exactly. Thank you for the berry. And then you'll publish the results, and somebody else will do it. And the reproducibility is a confirmation, whether it's true or false or not. And you know what? Um, in 2015... Uh, 270 researchers spent four years trying to reproduce 100 leading psychology experiments. They only replicated 39 of them successfully. These are 100 leading psychology experiments that are being used as the basis for your Google searches with a 39% success rate. But you know what? When you repent and you're baptized, there's a promise you'll receive the Holy Ghost. And every time that you put your faith in that, God has 100% verified. For thousands of years, there's a testimony in every part of the world, every time, every kind of personality involved. That is absolute. The journal Nature surveyed over 1,500 scientists. Um, More than 70% of researchers have tried and failed to reproduce another scientist's experiment. And more than half failed to reproduce their own experiments. Yet we think when studies show, when science says, oh yeah, I found my North Star, this is it. No, it might confirm what you want to be true. But that's a far cry from being what is true. There's also a, a, a motivation. These folks coming up with the research questions, doing the studies, they might, might they have an agenda sometimes? Might the provider who's giving you the search results, might they want to provide certain results for a certain purpose? Um, an, a man named Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein, um, they wrote a book called Nudge. And they had this idea of libertarian paternalism. And it's the idea that these... That, the, uh, the elite want to provide these particular ideas to give you a nudge in the right direction. And who is this guy? He actually worked for President Obama in the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. They want to give us a nudge in the direction that the devil might want us to go. He will give you 99 search results, take you 99 different directions. You have choice. And he's fine with it as long as you don't take the one direction that is the truth. And uh, um, studies do show, I know this is dangerous to say, but studies do show that these companies can give you a nudge in the right, in the right direction. In 2014, Facebook just said, let's just see if we can manipulate people's emotions by changing the articles that show up on their news feeds. And they did. What we read does have an effect upon us. Even if we don't believe everything we hear in our college science class, even if we don't believe a whit of what Darwinism uh, says about life or whatever about, about evolution, evolutionary biology, these ideas affect everything else they trickle down to every single part of society. Um, we'll just take a look at uh, 
Not all, not all academics are going to be honest about this, but here's one the, um, a professor of the history of science from Cornell. He says, no gods, no life after death, no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning in life, no human free will. All of these things are deeply connected to an evolutionary perspective. You're here today, you're gone tomorrow, that's all there is to it. Dr. Provine, when he entered school, he came from an evangelical background in Tennessee. And he started his, his first science class. He heard all the, all the evolutionary teaching. And uh, he goes to his professor at the very beginning and says, this is wrong, you're forgetting God. It's not there. And the professor says, if you still think that at the end of the first quarter, come back and stand before me in the class. If you find a single bit of evidence for that, let me know. And he goes to the book, goes to the book. At the end of that first quarter, he gave it up. Gave up the biblical teaching of, of creation. He didn't give up life after death right away or a foundation for ethics or meaning in life, but those things gradually came, gradually came. And he's honest, if you give up your origin, because remember, a philosopher has to answer those four questions. If you give up being made in the image of God, pretty soon you're going to be giving up, is there real meaning in life? Is there a foundation to say why, um, why we should or shouldn't um, make certain decisions? Is there a certain uh, um, uh, basis for morality? And my uh, uh, ninth grade English class, we're reading a Jack London's Call of the Wild. Jack London was a Darwinian. He was an evolutionist. Uh, he wasn't a scientist, but he embraced those ideas so much. On first glance, Call of the Wild is just a story about a bunch of dogs and the Alaskan gold rush. But if you look, it is very violent. It's just dog-on-dog violence, but it's pretty violent. And what, the, what some of the men will do to the dogs, beating them and things like that. But the book is really clear. If it's for survival, it's good. There's no basis to say that somebody does something wrong. If it's for their own survival, it's good. It's right. Evolution has real no basis for ethics. There's no real meaning in life, no morality. It says it all starts by giving up an active deity, a God who cares and will intervene in our lives. And then gradually you have to give up hope that there's any life after death. Because you just had some random beginning. Why would you have any special end? When you give those two up, he says, the rest of it follows fairly easily. You give up hope that there's an imminent morality, a morality that comes from above, a transcendent one from God. And finally, there's no human free will. I think there's a book back in the 70s or 80s written by an evolutionary biochemist. says biochemical predestination. Everything, the decision we make is going to be programmed in us by the chemicals and genes in our body. Take that kind of, it takes away human free will. He says, if you believe in evolution, you can't hope for there being any free will. There's no hope whatsoever of there being any deep meaning in life. We live, we die, we're gone. And when I read this the first time, I heard this the first time, I thought, man, people talk about what they have to give up in order to follow the Lord. If I have to follow the Lord, I've got to give up my, my worldly girlfriend. I've got to give up my worldly music. I had to give up this magazine or whatever. But we have to give up to follow God pales in comparison with what we give up to leave the Lord. Because when we leave the Lord, he's honest. We give up all hope. All this life is, is a fight for survival. That's it. And you know what? 
in the in the they're out, 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 out in nature. If one one beast kills another beast and eats it for dinner, nobody condemns him for it because that's just nature. And he says, "Hey, what's the difference if one person kills another person? That's just nature. There's no basis for morale. There's no hope. It's there." If you're really honest about it, if you leave the Lord, you give up hope for everything. And like I said, we might not be captured by this thought in its scientific form, but when it is in all the any kind of movie or film or music you listen to, that is why 20th century fiction, 20th century literature, 20th century music, it's hopeless. There's no hope. If you listen to classical, if you listen to music from the 1700s, uh, it's, 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 it's beautiful. You've got all these chords that, are, that, are, that make, 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 make melody and harmony together. But modern music, it's just this. What beauty is there in that? What form is there in that? They're looking at, at, at life without God, and that's the melody, that's the harmony. That affects us. It has an impact upon us. And just ask the question. Human, human beings are consumed with questions of identity and purpose. Who am I? What, why am I here? What's my purpose? Why would we have this question if, we'd all, if we're just the result of a random process of evolution? It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. And like I said, the popular culture surrounding the young people there in Babylon was saturated by the principles of the world. Saturated. And we go back to that question when Cyrus asked, who is there among you of Jehovah's people who want to go back to to Jerusalem? Why could so few Jews answer? Because all they've been hearing about was we just had a God among many gods, and our God couldn't even protect us. It was just a story. It was just one myth among many. Yeah, Babylon's a superpower, so they must, they must be a stronger God. We've got a good life here. It's not worth the trouble of going back. Why should I give up my home, my prosperous business? Why should I go back? And a lot of them stayed. 40,000 people went back with Ezra. 80,000 stayed. Just one third. When they, when I mean, this was this was the promise that they had been waiting for for seventy years. It had been there seventy years. You're going to go back home. You're going to rebuild the temple. I'm going to reestablish you there. I'm going to. I, I know the thoughts I think toward you, Seth. Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Hold on. They're at the cusp of that. At the cusp then how many of you want to go back? How many of you are believers? And two-thirds sat on their hands. Why? Because the culture that they had been taking in affected them so much. that They thought, yeah, it's just a story. It's just a myth. Will I live here? This is real. This is real, man. Why should I give this up? Only one-third went back. And if you look, and uh, when Zerubbabel goes, he's the first one that leads a group back. That's he takes the 40,000. About 60 years later, Ezra goes. And he takes, I think, just a little over 1,000. Can you see, as time goes on, 
how much more deadening it gets. The sensitivity, the expectation, even though the prophecy was being fulfilled before their very eyes. They could get updates from time to time because sometimes somebody would come back from in Jerusalem and, and, and take a message and go back. That, that happened. They could get news of, of, of the promised land. It, it's coming back. The temple is being rebuilt. It's happening. But they didn't care. They just got, the devil just turned the temperature up ever so gradually until when finally Nehemiah goes. He goes with a very small group. Very small. It's not even numbered. But um, before Nehemiah goes, you know, we just kind of see as the years pass, fewer and fewer Jews see that their exile is even a problem. Um, but a few people, namely Nehemiah, did notice the effect the culture was having. And Nehemiah says, I need to get out of here. I got to get out. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, um, verse 1 talks about how a few Jews came back from Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, oh, these Jews came back from Jerusalem. And he wants to know, how is it going there? And it's so interesting hearing him express it. I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile. Those are strong words. They've escaped. If you're escaping from something, there's an imminent danger. If you're surviving, it's a fight for your life. Nehemiah was one of the very few actually actually saw living in Babylon as a fight for survival, as something he needed to escape from. Most people were happy. Just give me my phone, give me my Facebook feed, and I'll be happy. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. I had a bad day at work, but just let me tune into my music, let me tune into my film, and I'll be happy for a little while. Just give me my dopamine, and I'll be happy. But Nehemiah said, I've got the only way Nehemiah realized the only way to survive this exile is to escape. I can't stay here any longer. If I stay in this pot any longer, I'm going to die. And that's what we have to have. If we want deliverance from it, we have to, we have to hate the sin that we're in. We have to hate the addiction we're struggling with. Because if we don't hate it, it's not going to happen. We can't just go forward. I'll, I'll go forward and have somebody pray for me. And maybe it'll work this time. You have to want it. If you don't want it, it's not going to happen. You've got to, you've got to, just like Socrates is a student, you've got to want that deliverance more than the air that you breathe. And then you'll be met. You will be. The only way to survive Babylon, to survive Laodicea, is to get out of it. Now, when we look at um, how societies were, how, how Babylon structured society so they could control people, control their exiles, control their, control their prisoners. It's interesting. Um, some of these superpowers in the 20th century had the same challenge. How are we going to control the populations that we have with us? Um, in the 1930s and 40s, both Hitler and Stalin were trying to construct totalitarian societies. So they could really rule their people and have complete control over them. And um, thinkers in the West began wondering, how does this actually work? And two main ideas came out from this. The one was written by a man named George Orwell. It's called 1984. And the other was written by a man named Aldous Huxley. And he wrote a book called Brave New World. And um, these books um, look at two possible ways to have control over a society. For Orwell, it was if we can, the, the, the government had to have maximum control and they ruled by fear whatever they could do to make the people scared enough and the people would be under their control. 
Huxley thought, no, you don't have to do that. If you just give the people their pleasures and get them addicted to pleasure, you'll have them as well. And here's some, uh, um, if you can, sorry, I can zoom in a little bit on this. Yeah. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us, that they're going to take our Bibles away. They'll take our message books away. But um, Huxley feared that, no, it's not going to be that. He feared that truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. I think Huxley was right. I remember when the, the iPod came out, and people, when we in churches, and we thought, this is fantastic. All of Brother Branham's sermon on one device, and you can have them all, you can listen to them all. You don't have to go and get tapes from a library one by one. Have to, oh, yeah, Brother so and so has got this tape, I've got to wait, and then, oh, his child lost the tape, so I've got to, I've got to wait even longer. All right there. And everything. the iPod is going to help us all get into the message. I remember one, young, one, one friend of mine was talking, you know, when I got the iPod, we, were, we all thought I'd be listening to the message all the time. But most of the time I found I was listening to a lot of other things. Yeah. And, the, and Brother Branham's messages were there on the iPod. No government took them away from us, but he gave us so many other things that it became drowned in a sea of irrelevance. We've got so much truth that tells us about the day that we're living in, what we can expect. But there are so many other things that are grabbing our attention. Try the new drug to lose weight without dieting or exercise. That sounds great, doesn't it? No dieting, no exercise. We can do this. Stay tuned to win cold, hard cash. We've got celebrity gossip, all these things. The media center is putting it all out. And there'll be one channel, a couple channels for the truth. But it'll be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture, preoccupied with just having good feelings. Like, finish them, tweet, look at the current affair tonight, collect all the beanie babies, carb up. The The truth is out there somewhere, but nobody really cares. All we care about is trivial stuff. We look at our news feed. How much of the news that we read is actually important? That actually affects what we do today or tomorrow? And when we pick up our phone in the mornings, we shouldn't pick up the phone in the mornings. But the first thing we read, what is it? That first thought can be a, a thought that sets the day, and it might just be, what's the headline? And then we get everything, and we get upset about. Biden did this, or whoever did that, and what's McCarthy doing now? And then, oh, and then that's going to be going through, our, going through our Bible reading time if we even have time after catching up on everybody's latest status updates. Truth can be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. We become a trivial culture. 1984 says people are controlled by inflicting pain. They're sending the soldiers out to get everybody the way they want them to go. But in Brave New World, they get everybody, come to the theaters, come to the greatest, come to the dream world, come on here. Everybody's coming of their own free will so they can have a wonderful, good-feeling experience and be controlled by it. Orwell feared that what we hate will ruin us. Huxley feared that what we love will ruin us. It's real. And I just kind of got to think about uh, this is the world that we live in. We think about persecution 
being that red horse rider that goes through the church ages and there's all this persecution by the Catholic Church in the Dark Ages. But uh, what horse rider are we living under now? It's the pale horse rider that lives, that rides during this age of Laodicea where I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, I have need of nothing, I've got everything I need. But that pale horse rider is riding. What's the name of the pale horse rider? Death. And he's killing you and letting you say, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, I can't breathe spiritually, but boy, I'm great. And you can see that our... The world's view here in Laodicea is that we're fantastic. This is the dream. I'm living the dream, man. But God's view, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. That's God's view. We, have, we need our eyes anointed with eye sap so that we can see as God sees because culture is affecting us. Culture is putting all these veils over our eyes so we think we're seeing clearly, but we're not. We're seeing it exactly wrong. We think we're free when we're actually bound by sin. And that's sin that's strangling us to death. And we just say, God's fine, just let me play my game. That's where we're living. That's where we're living. I got to think about the pleasures that bind. And these are the uh, the first things I came across. Pleasures that bind. And just so you know... These images were found at thegamer.com. It was not found at momsagainstvideogames.com. You look at these. This is, this, is a, this is a worldly... This is not somebody who has the benefit of the message of the hour or, or the Bible or anything. This is what they're showing. This is bondage. But it's, it's fun bondage, right? And can we ask, are the Philistines attacking us yet? And if they were, could we even do anything about it? Are we bound? I looked, what are the most popular video games and franchises during the quarantine? Because, yeah, when you're in quarantine, you don't have much to do. Just play your video games. And I looked at these. The first one's Call of Duty. And when I saw this, man, Call of Duty. I looked at, what is Call of Duty? And I looked at this, 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 this war game. It's a, it's a pretty brutal war game. I just thought... That's a really ironically named game. Call of Duty. It's a soldier's duty to go off and, and fight the mission and things like that. But I kind of thought, who plays the most video games? It's men, 18 to 35 years old. And the video game that many men might be playing is Call of Duty. When what is their duty? They get home from work, their dog tired, I've earned some quiet time. I just need some time to let off the pressure. So we power up Call of Duty. And you say, yeah, it's, a, it's rated 17 plus. So yeah, there's going to be, so I'm going to need to go, go in my settings. I need to turn off, um, turn off the blood because you can make it, uh, it's a violent game. So I'll just turn the blood setting off. And you know what? Um, there can be some cursing and things like that, some bad words. I'm going to mute the volume and then I'll play. And if you think that somebody actually does those things, you're crazy. Who's going to do that? They're going to play it all the way it's made to play. And they're going to be, as mom's making supper down there and everything, Dad, I'm going to get this guy. I'm going to save the Ukrainians. And dads get this feeling, I'm fulfilling my mission. I'm getting this, this positive feedback. My boss was on my back all day long. He didn't give me a single compliment. And here I get... I fulfilled this mission, and I got a badge. 
I got a really, I've been trying to get this badge for a month, and I finally got the badge. I say, hey, sweetheart, I got my badge. She says, who cares? It's time for supper. And the kids are crying, everything like that. And Dad says, I'll be there in just, just a minute, honey. I don't know if you've noticed, but in the video game world, one minute is not 60 seconds. So as mom's down there, she's been working. Because mom would like to have a little bit of time of quiet, too. Kids are crying. She finally gets supper on the table. And she's so sick and tired of hearing dad stomping up there, killing the, killing the enemy, that she just goes get the table, serves them all up. 45 minutes later, everybody's done eating. Dad comes and says, didn't you guys wait for me? And then come time for devotions. Dad's up there again and finally comes down. And what's the call of duty? The call of duty for that dad is to be there at the supper table with his family. The call of duty for that dad is to be there leading devotions with his family, praying with his kids, tucking those kids into bed. That's the call of duty. That game is so wrongly named because it's taking you from your duty. And I'm just thinking, guys, as teenagers, we might, we're, we'll be drawn to that kind of a game, but it's building a habit in us that's going to take us from our real call of duty. It's going to do that. What are we doing? Look, age distribution of video game players, 40% are 18 to 35. When you have all kinds of other responsibilities, you're going to be doing Call of Duty or whatever else. Other ones got Animal Crossing, Fortnite, NBA 2020, Candy Crush, Mario, some of these things. They might not be anything wrong or objectionable. I've seen people play Candy Crush, I think. I've never been able to figure out what exactly the point of it is. I think there's got to be a point there somewhere. For me, if I've got candy, I want to eat it, but that's not part of it. But what's the point of it? Yeah, There's no sin there, perhaps, but that's a waste of time. So I'm not saying that it's a sin to play anything, but take some real careful thought about it. Take some real careful thought about what you're putting in front of your kids to play. Because you're setting them up for habits that will affect them for a lifetime. How much time is spent playing video games? Average hours played per week um, by 76% of Americans in 2021, 16 and a half hours a week. They think, wow, that's a lot. You know what? I thought about it. That's pretty easy to get to. You play two hours a night, you're almost there. Two and a half hours, you got that. I can imagine that 75% of Americans play that. 75% of some people in here might play that sometimes. It's easy to get to that. It's not that hard because, like I said, one minute in video game time isn't 60 seconds. The time adds up fast. And what's in there? Everything that we're getting in there. When you see those things, like a game like Grand Theft Auto, I, I, I've heard you, you, all of a sudden these scantily clad women pop up. All the other things pop up. Adds this, adds that pop up. The things we're doing for pleasure, they're putting time bombs in our minds that are just waiting to go off. Another pleasure that binds us. How many like Amazon Prime? Free shipping. I love it. You can, you, can, you can forget somebody's birthday, and you can be saved because it'll still be here within two days, and maybe even tomorrow if you order before 12 o'clock. <laughs> it's great. But you know what? 
Amazon Prime's price keeps going up because they do a lot more than free shipping. They've got this huge movie library, this huge film library, this huge music library that you can access anywhere, anytime, on your phone. It seems like it's for free. And things that we would never watch before, we just want to watch because we want to relax. And you know what? Most, if you watch a movie nowadays, you think, oh, I just want something light and something to laugh at. Most comedies today are going to be some kind of romantic comedy that's all about sex. And these things that we're looking at, they're going to stick in your mind. They're going to affect your consciousness. They're going to condition your consciousness to make you think things are normal when they're not. Because they'll do it in such a way that, oh, there'll be people laughing in the movie. And you know, yeah, they, they create a scenario where something that is completely unrealistic in real life but they'll create a situation with people you can identify with, and it happens, and it's funny, and people look, look like it's good, and that conditions your conscience. If it's good there, it's not so bad that this guy at work starts flirting with me, and he gives me a whack on my rear end. Uh, wow, I like the attention. It happens all the time in the movie. Maybe it's not so bad here. If you're not careful, it'll, get, it'll condition you, condition you, work a night shift somewhere, your fellow employees are watching the film. You just kind of hang around because you've got nothing better to do. And before those things stick in your mind, stick in your mind. And maybe you don't really get involved in the moment, but you know what? Next time you go to this webpage where there's not a single temptation, not a single advertisement, not a single uh, picture that's inappropriate, but you know what? Most sin can start right here. There's no temptations on the page. We've picked up so many things from other media. What is that? What does this look like? How does that work? Type it in there. We put it in there, and we put it in here too. These are pleasures that bind us. And before too long, we'll be hooked on any number of things that we never wanted to get into. You get hooked on pornography. You get hooked on... um, watching the wrong movies, wrong, 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 wrong video games, and it's just going to gradually, gradually suffocate us and take our life away. Now, I want to end with, um, like I said, these philosophies that can bind us, that can spoil us, take us captive, they trickle down into the culture. And one thing that, uh, you know, gifts and callings are without repentance, Music writers in the world, they're very, very gifted. Because they're sometimes gifted to be able to... People out in the world, they have no hope. This world is the closest thing to heaven that they'll ever get. And it feels terrible. And they've got questions and emotions, and they, you have a feeling that you can't really put into words how difficult that can be. And you hear somebody who's able to put your feeling into words, and says, yes, that's exactly how I feel. That's the gift of a pop music writer. They can put the feeling that people are struggling with, they can put it into words. Say, man, they understand me. And I want to look at uh, pop music's really good at this because it can, there's, there's people gifted to put the things in the world clearly into words. And then one of the most important pop songs of the 20th century was uh, John Lennon's Imagine, written in 1971. And I'm going to take... Um, I asked Brother Barry if I could show this video clip of John Lennon and his, uh, his girlfriend or wife, at the time. I'm not sure which it was, but um, them singing this. It's a, it's a beautifully written song. 
nothing rock and rolly about it. Take a look at the lyrics of it and to see how, how Satan works. Because this is the ideas that will make sound good that affect us. Everything is dark, foggy, misty. He's just walking through fog. It sounds really nice, doesn't it? Nice melody line. And notice how at the beginning, it's all fog. The world that he's living in right now, in the 1970s, the traditional um, morality, all this is just fog. You really can't see your way through. He He says, that traditional morality, this traditional world I'm living in, he says, that's fog. That's darkness. And he's singing this beautiful song. Is it not a little bit unnerving? when he gets up in your face like that. That's what the devil wants to do. Even, even this beautiful little, beautiful melody, this kind of lilts, and oh, just kind of, then he still reminds you, I'm going to get in your face, just imagine. He's going to remind you, I'm here, just imagine. It gives you the creeps. Keep going. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you join us, and the world will be one. Would you pause it again? The longer the song goes, 
What happens visually? You still you go from darkness and mist. Just imagine. And the more you imagine, it gets wider and wider and wider. The visual message, the status quo, it's based upon traditional morality. That's completely bondage. That's darkness. But just imagine this. If you imagine this, just imagine the fog's gone. What I'm imagining, it's not here now. But I want to awaken a desire in you for this kind of world to come. Just imagine. There's no heaven. Just imagine there's no hell. There's nothing to kill or die for. Just imagine. And as he's singing, the darkness is going away. Light is coming. He's using all of God's images backwards. Just backwards. What we listen to affects us. What we listen to affects us. I'm going to jump to a different example. In the 1930s, um, Orson Welles put on the broadcast War of the Worlds. The Martians were coming to invade. I listened to it a couple weeks ago with my son. I explained to him first, this is just a story. I had to do that. Because in the original broadcast, it starts out with music playing, classical music. We interrupt this regularly scheduled program to report about a big balloon up in the sky above North Carolina. And then they ask, let's ask this particular scientist what's going on here. And he gives his report. Okay, we will go back to our regularly scheduled program and give you updates as follows. And it was so realistic. They had people calling in, freaking out. Where are the Martians? Is life ending? What's going to happen? And it was all made up. All made up. What we listen to affects us. What we watch affects us. It did then, it does here also. Because it gradually thinks, oh, this is okay. This is okay. Just imagine that there's no heaven, no hell. Imagine all the people just living for today. There's nothing to kill or die for. No religion. That stuffy, binding stuff. Imagine everybody just living life in peace. How do you get that? You may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. There's lots of us. Come dream with us, and the world will be as one. Just imagine, no possessions. I wonder if you can. There's no possessions. There's no, no. If everybody has enough stuff, there won't be any greed or hunger. Imagine all the world, all the people sharing all the world. Beautiful. Lenin said, imagine is anti-religious anti-nationalistic, anti-conventional, anti-capitalistic, but because it's sugar-coated, it's accepted. That's what the devil does with sin. He says, now I understand what I have to do. Put your political message, your moral message, whatever message you want, put it across with a little honey. That's what the devil does. And if we just think about what he's saying, because ideas, what are his ideas? He says, no heaven. No hell. Just living for today. If there's no heaven, uh, my, then uh, nobody's going to be disappointed at the end, right? If there's no hell, then, uh, yeah, that's not so bad. They don't have nothing to fear, right? People just living for today, doing whatever they want to, sounds beautiful. Nothing to kill or die for. No possessions, greed, or hunger. It's a beautiful thing, just imagine. But his ideas have consequences. Because if there's no heaven, you take away all hope. Just imagine, no heaven, there's no hope. No hell, 
We like the idea that there is no hell when we're the one who's going to get punished for something. But as soon as somebody does something to us, we want them to have justice. We want They have to pay. If there's no justice, we have nothing to fear. If there's no hell, there's no, nothing to fear. Be just fine, we think. Just live for today. There's no morality. Nothing to kill or die for. It almost means there's nothing to live for if there's nothing that important. There's no meaning or purpose in life. No possessions, greed, or hunger. He says his solution is basically just increase the proportion of stuff to, per person. What a hollow, cheap solution. Just give everybody more stuff and they'll be happy. That's so sad. I had a neighbor who actually won the lottery. It was amazing. He he won the lottery. He was a delivery man. And one day, he and his employees, their ticket was pulled. They win the lottery. He he continues working his job for a while. Then finally, he quits. Works as a tennis coach. all kinds of things. Seems to be living the dream. A couple years ago, I bought a couch, and then the lady I'm checking out, uh, well, she's, uh, she's taking my, uh, my order, and she looks up and says, you don't know who I am, do I? I said, no, I don't. I'm Mrs. So-and-so. She was the neighbor lady, the lottery winner's lucky wife. But you know what? 20 years later, they're divorced. Kids are somewhere else. They're gone. He's a drunk. He's an alcoholic. I actually tried to call him to see if I could. He had a flooring business. He was trying, but he never returned a call. And I think, man, he's got everything. More stuff per person? Yeah. It seems like that's the solution. But you know what? A change in circumstances without a change in heart changes nothing. The devil wants to promise you everything with consumerism, give you more stuff. It doesn't change your heart. You feel like, oh, yeah, I've, I'm dressed like a million bucks. I'm the best person around now until the styles change or until somebody else comes in with something a little nicer than yours. Changing a circumstance doesn't really change anything. Yeah. What's it like to live in the world that John Lennon imagined in 1971? We're 40 years further. What's it like? God says, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts. If you imagine something long enough and you want something long enough, God just might give you what you want. And he has in this world. Nick Hosea says, Ephraim is joined to idols, just let them alone. If they want something bad enough, God just might give you the desire of your heart. Make sure you have God's desire. In 2019, a Dutch singer won the Eurovision Song Contest with this song, Arcade. And I believe that this particular song is the answer to what John Lennon was imagining in 1971. Let's listen to it just a moment. And again, calm, quiet. A broken heart is all that's left. Just imagine. I'm still fixing all the cracks. Lost a couple of pieces when I carried it, carried it, carried it home. I'm afraid of all I am. My mind feels like a foreign land. 
heard enough but it's a it's a simple melody it's appealing it doesn't jar you or anything like that but what they say about cult about all the philosophies trickling down to pop culture this is a great example of that trickle down effect what is an arcade got games based on chance right according to darwin according to philosophy today everything in your life is just random just based on chance. And this boy, he's looking for love in his life. And everything he's getting is just, it's just, he feels like, my life is an arcade. I don't have any free will. It just, it's just this roller coaster. I want to jump off the roller coaster. I want to be done because I'm just getting broken. John Lennon said, just imagine there's no heaven. Just imagine everybody living for today and all the rooms getting light, the darkness is going away, the fog is disappearing, and this is the fruit of it. A broken heart is all that's left. It's not just broken, it's shattered. Because this isn't his first relationship. It's been broken so many times, it's gone. He's lost pieces of his heart. I've been trying to get it all together. I'm carrying it home, but I lost some pieces. This guy's confused. I'm afraid of all I am. And the singer, he is confused. In his, in, in, in his life story, he's a bisexual. He is confused. And I feel sorry for him because he's got, he's got questions about everything that he is. My mind feels like a foreign land. Please carry me. Somebody carry me home. Carry me home. I'm so hurt. I spent all the love I've saved. And guys, we can be so irritated sometimes by a courtship teaching that says, I just want to do what I want. Can I do this? These teachings are supposed to save us from this. He says, I spent all the love I saved. We were always a losing game. It wasn't going to work out anyway. I just got addicted to a losing game. I'm a small town boy. The game was rigged against me. I didn't stand a chance. And John Lennon says, just imagine how beautiful this is. Just imagine. And people have been imagining this for 40 years, and it's destroying them. How many pennies in the slot? Giving us up didn't take a lot. How valuable are you, according to the world? Pennies. How much was our relationship worth? Pennies. How much is your love worth? You don't have any value. She didn't have any value, according to the world. We're not made in the image of God. You're just worth pennies. When you give up your origin that you're made in God's image, when you give up your destiny that you're bound for heaven to reign with him, you give up everything and you're worth nothing, the devil says. He just wants to destroy you and tear you. I saw the end before it began. Desperation, despair. Still, I carried, I carried it on. And then I says, I like this little bridge. I don't need your games. Game over. Get me off this roller coaster. Just back and forth, back and forth. And I just want to say, be aware of the music you listen to. Be aware of the films you watch, the media you're taking part of, because it's going to affect you. It's going to affect you. Why do you have so much depression? Why do you have so much discouragement? Why do you have so many suicidal thoughts? Because that's what we're piping in. That's all 
over the place. These are the images. I selected a few images from his music video. I went through and found the images with the most light. There's not much light there. Most of the time, he's in total darkness. And he's living the life that John Lennon imagined. John Lennon promised, only imagine, light. He's Duncan Lawrence now in 2019, is living John Lennon's dream. And it's darkness, it's brokenness, it's pain. Yet, when Duncan Lawrence is interviewed about this, he says this song, Arcade, is a song about longing, longing for love, longing for something that seems out of reach. And he says, and it speaks of hope. And when I read this, hope, you call this hope. Where is there any hope there? Wow. It's a word of advice to myself. Today, when you Google for advice, check out how the person's living, how that advice has worked for them, because it hasn't worked for him. Maybe it helps someone somewhere. I truly hope so. I hope it helps us tonight that we can see I don't want to go that path. I don't want that kind of music. I don't want that kind of media. I don't want any of it. Only by knowing God can we know hope. I just want to close with the question as musicians can come. Thank you for being so attentive. Where do we have our wick? Where are we drawing our spiritual energy from? Where are we drawing our strength from? Where is it? Because we can draw amazing strength from God's word that tells us what's coming. There's a rapture coming, folks. It's not just some fairy story that's not going to happen. It's real. We have God gives us the Holy Ghost as earnest for that. There's going to come a day when there's no sorrow, no pain, no death. That day's coming. And I want to be living in expectation for it because God sent us a message. And those Jews in Babylon who were in the message of their day, they knew that Cyrus was coming, that Cyrus was going to send them back. And it's like, yes, I want to go. But if they had their wick and something else, they missed it. They stayed behind. And when they stayed behind, they missed the fulfillment of prophecies. Their generations, 400 years later, missed the fulfillment of the Messiah coming. They gave that up for their kids because they wanted to stick around in the Babylonian culture. In Revelation 18.4 says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's a dwelling place for demons, a cage for every unclean and hateful bird. That is pop culture. And us, I know us young people, we might be raised in the message. We might not have a coming out of denomination experience or a coming out of the Catholic Church experience, but we all have to have an experience where we come out of the culture. We have to come out of Babylon. Come out of her, my people. I just want to encourage you today. Jump out. The only way to escape, the only way to survive Babylon today is to get out of Babylon today. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the word that you've given us, Lord. I thank you for the good attention each person has given this evening, Lord. And I, Lord, we've been long. But Father, I pray that you would that your Holy Spirit would have anointed eyes this evening that we can say, oh my, the things that I thought were such a big deal, I'm bound. I didn't realize I was bound. I thought I was just having fun here, but yeah, you know what? 
my walk with the Lord isn't going so well. I've got a lot more medals in my video game than I do medals from the Lord. Lord, I pray that you would move in each heart. And Lord, if there's things that we need to repent of and and set down and lay down, Lord. Father, I pray that you would move in each heart, that we'd reevaluate the decisions we're making, the choices we're making, Lord. I think of David's uh, vow with himself, I will set no evil thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. Lord, I pray that that would be our purpose, our goal, O God. I just uh, ask or invite if someone says, yes, I... I've been, uh, I'm caught up in Babylon more than I realized, and I need to change some things. I'd be happy to, to pray with you, and if you just want to raise your hand, say, yes, would you pray for me? I need to change. I need, yes, God bless you. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Lord, I pray for each hand that's raised. Young and old, we all, it's so easy for the devil to, to creep in, and we get to watch it and listen to wrong things, Lord, I pray, O oh God, that we would be tuned in with you, tuned in with what you're doing, so that when that rapture comes, oh, we'll be, we'll be like Daniel, welcoming Cyrus with open arms, walking in fulfilled prophecy, O oh God. Lord, I pray for each one to help us, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an army. Let's stand. There's an army.
just to think about that for a moment because it's an easy thing to sing that. But you have to know that there's a chain around you, first of all. And you got to want to be free from that chain. you got to want to be free. The problem is, is that everything Rap talked about are things that we're bound up with that appeal to us. They're fun to do. And they're addicting, kind of. We never probably recognize them as chains in the first place. But you know, it's only the truth that sets you free. Truth is designed to set you free. And that's what I believe that is important about tonight, is that God gave us that view of what is really true. I believe His Word is true. And that's what makes a difference in our lives, when we can recognize truth and we can act on it. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. In the morning, when I rise, in the morning,
among you will go, King Cyrus says. How many among you are real believers want to go? Every Jew, every Jew knows he's got to be in, in Israel before he's blessed. I mean, that's, that's a principle every Jew hears from the beginning of their schooling, beginning of their Sunday school. Every Jew has got to be blessed only when they're Israel, only when they're in that land, in that promised land. And yet, Two-thirds of them say, there's no Starbucks in that land. Look at what we have here versus what we have there. And they're willing to risk it all to stay in Babylon. Because you know what? It just feels good here. Wow. Wow. What a subtle thing the devil has done. Killing us with pleasure. Because what we love will ruin us. What we love will ruin us. It's incredible. It's amazing how subtle. And to me, that's why I told everybody, this is not a young people's meeting. Parents need to hear this. Parents need to know this. Parents kind of need to understand a little bit about what's what's behind a lot of the stuff that's out there. And we're so caught up with all the different things that happen so quickly. We're all, we're all trying to follow the balloon, right? You should feel good. I mean, the balloon can cross Montana and a whole bunch of other states. Government doesn't do a thing. crosses North Carolina and they blow it out of the sky, right? I mean, that should make you feel kind of good. <clears throat> now China's reacting to that. And what, was, <laughs> what I thought was interesting is, you know, I, as all day long I was just kind of just what if I could see it up there, right? And I don't know if anybody saw it, physically saw it with their naked eye, but what was on the news this morning was that when, if, if indeed you see the balloon, please don't shoot it. Because they figured people would take their guns out and shoot it, you know. Anyway, the balloon is gone. It's here today, gone. So it's not a worry to us anymore. But you know what? There'll be something else to catch your attention. Something else to grab your, your, your perspective when you turn on your phone. And, you know, it's, it's just, it doesn't end. It's just relentless. It just it doesn't, doesn't end. I'll, I'll tell you what, saints of God, I, 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 I never thought about the, the fact that God does not give us answers like Google does. He wants us to seek first the kingdom of God. Go after it with all your heart. It's as precious as the air we breathe. It's, it, it's, it's life to us. Go after it and be serious about it. Seek God with a passion and a, and a zeal and a real determination that you want to hear from God. You want to hear the truth. I, to me, I just, we need to hear this. We need to hear things like this because it kind of shocks us a little bit. It helps us to realize Satan knows exactly what he's doing knows exactly what he's doing. Let's sing that little chorus. He is here. Hallelujah. He is here. And uh, we don't want to keep you. My, we could say lots of things, but uh, we're going to slip over to the fellowship hall to have a little refreshment there for everybody and give you a chance to fellowship and uh, talk to Brother Rapp and Brother uh, Chris and, 
and uh, just to be able to spend a little bit of time together. I'm thankful that we have a fellowship hall. I'm thankful that we have a place we can go so we don't have to go out in the restaurant and listen to the music and all those kinds of things. I'm thankful for that. Let's sing this tonight here before we close. He is Brother Chisholm, would you come close in prayer tonight? Yes. Yes, we believe he's here. tonight, Lord. Lord, we're listening. You have spoken to our hearts, Father. Lord Jesus, how we really appreciate, Lord, to let us realize the time that we are living in, the techniques of the enemy, oh God. So much distraction. Lord God, help us, Lord. Help us to stay focused, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for your servant, Lord. Father, we pray that every heart, Lord, I know you walk down every aisle tonight. Father, will you meet our needs? May you go with us. May we seek to find, oh God. You will give us the answer. And Father, as we leave this place, Lord, And never, ever your presence. May you always be Shama to us. May you always be present with us, Lord. Protect us, Father, as we leave this place, O God, and be with us, Father. Bless the continuation of this service, Lord. Bless your servant, Lord, that he'll get rest, Lord, for his body, Lord. Lord, give him strength, Father, for another day, Father. 
This we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let the Redeemer of the church say amen. 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 You are not a God. God bless you. God bless you.